All right. If you would turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk. We've had three babies born in the past three weeks, so some people have been busy. <laughs> Little Jude, our grandson, is here today with Tosh back in the cry room, so take a gander at him. Well, um, the first service was really, really heavy. And I'm going to try not to, I mean, the text is heavy. But I got distracted last service. Um, I don't know what it was, but there was this, my microphone had like this weird growling sound. Whenever I would speak in it, well, not growling. It was just a weird sound. It was driving me nuts, and it distracted me. And then I got all flustered. So today, second service, Father, we pray that there wouldn't be any issues with technical things. We pray, Father, as we continue our study in the short little prophecy of Habakkuk, we pray, Lord, that we would glean from it. Lord, as we... We'll see today, we know that one of your apostles gleaned from this prophecy. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd see, even though these things were written long ago, pertaining to a people who lived long ago, that your word, because it's alive, because it's living, is uh, for every generation. And there are things that we can glean in every generation. So teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been reading through Habakkuk, uh, you would probably agree with me. I think that Habakkuk would have sung that last worship song that we sang, Sorrow Upon Sorrow. And we saw this last week as we began our study in Habakkuk, how Habakkuk, he had a question for the Lord. His concern was, Lord, what's going on? You know, I... I look around and there's violence. Everywhere I look, there's violence. Now, he's not talking about violence coming from the outside, outside of Israel, upon Israel. But he's talking about violence in Israel. He's talking about violence, to be very specific, in Judah, among the Jewish people. Violence. The violence was present because the children of Israel, God's children, had turned their backs on God and began to serve idols and just anything that was made by hand or anything that floated above or that ran below, you know, they would worship those things and they became deprived or debased in their minds. And with the debased mind, there goes the culture. And, and that was true then and that's surely true today. And so we saw last week how Habakkuk, he asked the question of the Lord. We saw it in verse 2, how long? Shall I cry and you, uh, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? And then the Lord replied. And when the Lord replied, the Lord said, well, uh, Habakkuk, you're concerned about judgment. I want you to know that judgment is coming. In fact, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to be my rod of discipline upon my children, upon my people. And of course, this is something that Habakkuk did not want to hear. If he was troubled with the violence in 
Israel, among the people of Israel, he was surely troubled when he heard that the Lord was indeed raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. And so we see that Habakkuk, his second question, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devour? Devours a person more righteous than he. Why do you make men like fish of the sea? Like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their nets and gather them in their drag nets. Therefore, they, not your people, those who are coming against us, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their nets, not to you, Lord, and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? End of question. Habakkuk, he wants to know, Lord, why in the world would you use someone like them? Why would you use a nation that's worse than us? I mean, you know, we, we've got our problems, and I was complaining to you about our problems, about the sin within my nation, Habakkuk would say. But the cure is worse than, you know, the issue at hand. It's interesting, as you continue through Habakkuk, Nowhere does God say, in fact, he doesn't say it in Habakkuk or Jeremiah or Isaiah or any of the prophets. He, he doesn't say, well, let me tell you why I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. He doesn't, he doesn't give details like that. He just simply says, this is what I'm going to do. But, you know, we do have an answer why God would do something like this. It's found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. There it says, for my, the my there is God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your Ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is something we have to remind ourselves because so often we think that we have the mind of God. We think that God should think just the way we think. If we have an opinion about something, surely that's the same opinion that God has on that thing. But God makes it clear. You don't misunderstand my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts. You, you, you cannot know what's in my mind. And so Habakkuk, he asks the second question. He, he finishes his question. And look what it says in, in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, I will set my watch. I will stand my watch, excuse me, and set myself on the rampart or the tower in the tower and watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall or what I will answer when I am corrected. You know, guys, you say, okay, well, where's the life application? Well, I think of our nation. You say, oh, great, we're going to hear some negative things. Well, 
listen, I don't know where you live, but where I live, you look at the world, you see the things that are happening. Every week there's something new. Every week there's something that's troubling. I mean, if you're, if you're truly paying attention and if you're truly a child of God because you have the Spirit of God within you, it grieves the Spirit within us when we see the things that are happening. If, if you do not have the Spirit of God, all of these words are meaningless to you. You're thinking, man, hey, you're just negative. You're just being negative. It's not negative. If you have the Spirit of God, we have a comparison between that which is presently and that which should be, as we see it in the Word of God. The Lord has a purpose. He has a plan for people. And I'll tell you, what we see around us is not the plan and purpose that God has for humanity. You think of God, you know, he's from everlasting. Habakkuk acknowledged that as he asked his second question. You, you didn't have a beginning. You didn't come into existence. You're, you're not Johnny come lately. You're the one who created all things. You spoke all things into, into being. And you had a purpose for all things when you created them and us. And, you know, you look, and as you study the scriptures, we see Adam's fall. You say Adam and Eve. No, Adam's fall. Sin came through one man, not through one woman, through one man. Just as sin came through one man, salvation comes through one man. That man is the second Adam. You know what I'm talking about. We see it in Romans, speaking of Jesus. But we see the fall of man. We see depravity. We see things going from bad to worse. But the Lord has a remedy. The remedy, well, for the children of Israel, the remedy was, here's my law, here's my standard. And by the way, you're not going to be able to keep my law or my standard. So here's the sacrificial system so that when you break my law, my standard, you can offer something because the wages of sin is death. Guys, this is not a New Testament, uh, you know, uh, teaching only. This is seen from the very beginning that with sin comes death. But the Lord says, I'll give you a remedy. You could offer these offerings. This is your prescription. And they will cover your sins, O Israel, until the Lamb of God who takes, who will come upon the scene and take upon himself the sin of the world, you know, then he'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. And so he has the remedy. So we're living in the midst of this. Of course, we live after Christ, and so we've lived our life under that, that assurance, that banner of the Christ has come, the Messiah has come, the Lamb has come. He died upon the, the cross for our sins. He bore the wrath that was due us, you know. And if you placed your faith in him, you are saved. I mean, this is, this is biblical doctrine. This is Christian doctrine. And those of us that believe that, we have this comfort and this hope. But we still live in this world, and we look at the world, and we look at what's happening. When I think of Habakkuk crying out to the Lord, in essence saying, Lord, why in the world would you use them? You know, when he says, oh, Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. Oh, Rock, you have marked them out for correction. The underlying thought is, not us. Not us, Lord. Them. Who? The Babylonians. They're wicked. They're horrible people. 
Judgment should come upon them, and yet you're going to use them to discipline us? Let me put it another way. It would be like us. Uh, maybe crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, look at look what the violence, you know. Look at the violence that we see all around us. Violence in the streets, violence in our nation, violence from the, you know, the, the, the lowest of society to the highest of society, violence. Violence in different forms. Lord, why don't you do something? Why don't you discipline our nation? And if the Lord was to answer and say, well, I've got it covered. I'm bringing a communist, <laughs> you know, army or nation against you, and they'll be my rod of discipline. We would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're bad, but we're not that bad. I mean, that's too much. That's too extreme. And that's precisely where Habakkuk was. He asked the question, he got the answer, and he was troubled by what he heard. He said in verse 17, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? It's almost as if he got to the point where he says, okay, I could accept the fact, Lord, not that I have any choice in the matter, that you're going to use the Babylonians to be the rod of discipline against us. But he wanted to know about the duration. How long will it last, Lord? I mean, will this continue forever? Now, guys, it wasn't like the Babylonians were a nation that they knew nothing about. The Babylonians were conquering nations. They had conquered the Assyrian nation, and they were moving their way through the land and conquering every nation that they came across, you know. And, and so Habakkuk, he says, how long is it going to go? How long is it going to continue? That's like us. We want to know, know all the details, you know, Lord. It's going to be bad. How long is it going to be bad? Like a month? Two months? Three months? Many times we don't get answers when it comes to things like that. But I love the fact that Habakkuk, after he asked the question, he just kind of puts that to rest and he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to set myself in the rampart or, or on the rampart or in the tower, the King James reads, and watch to see what he will say to me. You know, guys, he anticipated an answer to his question. And I think this is where many times we drop the ball. I think everyone has questions for God. Now, some questions are legitimate. Other questions, I don't think they're that legitimate. I don't think people really want an answer. They just kind of throw these things out, you know. If God is, then why would? And that type of thing. But if you're a follower of the Lord, you know, you, you study his word. You, you seek him in prayer. And you worship him. And there's no doubt that you have questions you have questions, and you ask those questions. But how often do we stick around for the answer? How often do we expect an answer? Many times we'll ask, and, and we're not even really expecting an answer, and we kind of move on to the next thing, and, and by the time the Lord comes with the answer, I mean, we've, we've moved on. We're not even concerned about that thing any longer. But not so with Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit, I'm going to stand, I'm going to wait, the Lord's going to answer, and when he answers me, I will, I'll see what I'm going to answer him when I am corrected. That's interesting. Guys, 
Don't think for a moment that Habakkuk, as he's questioning the Lord, as he has these questions for the Lord, that he's thinking, you know, Lord, you're wrong. And so I, uh, through my questions, I hope that you'll see that you're wrong and I'm going to help you think differently <laughs> about this. But what we see with Habakkuk is we see humility. Habakkuk, I believe, was humble enough to know that if anyone was wrong, it was him. It wasn't the Lord that was wrong. It was him. It was his perspective, his, his outlook. It was his limited understanding. And he needed, he needed help. And he expected help. And I'll tell you, guys, if, if, we're, if we're praying to the Lord, if we're asking questions of the Lord, then we, we need to, by faith, expect that the Lord's going to answer us, right? Otherwise, it's just kind of a game. It's, it's not, we're not really believing, it's just this strange thing that we do. I think of Job. Remember Job when he went through all the things he went through? And I'll, I'll tell you, you read through the book of Job, and some Christians don't like the book of Job. I, it, it kind of puts their theology on their heads, you know, and they don't like it. You know, why would God allow such things? You know, more questions for God. But I love the book of Job because um, as you read through it, I find myself agreeing with Job as he's responding to the questions of his friends. Remember, they came to, to comfort him, <laughs> and all they did is accuse him and say, well, you, you know, you're wrong, Job, and, and you're a sinner, robe, and, uh, Job, robe. Uh, you're a sinner, <laughs> Job, and, and if you're a righteous man, none of these things would be happening to you, and you're under the judgment of God, Job, and, and then Job would respond, and, and sometimes, you know, as I'm reading, I, I'm saying, oh, I agree with this, boy, I, that's a good comeback, Job, and, and, and maybe they come back with some accusation, and you say, well, you know, what they're saying there, th there could be some truth to that, and then it gets to the point where everyone shuts up. And that's when things happen, when man shuts his mouth. And then God began to speak. And remember how he spoke? Where were you, Job, when I... And it goes on and on and on. And it's this moment where you almost picture Job just kind of melting because, you know, the friends aren't there. It's not about the friends any longer. It's about Job and God. And as God is speaking to him, you could almost picture Job just wilting like a flower. And then you come to the end of the, of the thing, and, 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 and Job says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. I like that. Humility. He didn't say, you know, God, I'm right, you're wrong. Listen, if that's your tendency, you got to get over that. you got to get over yourself <laughs> because I'll tell you, the Lord's always right. And Job came to that conclusion. He says, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Here's the conclusion. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. 
But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Humility. The proud man, the proud woman, it's me. I know how things are. You know, we hear this all the time. We live in a world that's full of that. Absolutely full of it. The pride. God's wrong about this. The word of God is wrong. You know, the, the, the earth isn't that old. It's this old, you know. And, and uh, we're all byproducts of evolution. All, all of these things, you know. And man's so certain in his, you know, and he makes his assertions. And there's these proud statements. And God, the scriptures tells us, he laughs. He laughs. It's like, you know, you look at your creation and you just say, they think they know because of what they heard. But boy, when they see, everything will change. I, 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 I think that Job had an experience like Habakkuk. He, he expected to be corrected. Look what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Lord, I, I, I know it's because I'm not seeing things clearly. I, I know it's because I'm... I'm just not understanding as I need to understand. I'll tell you guys, there's freedom in that. There's freedom in coming to a place where we realize we just don't know. I think of uh, how (laughs) this world that we live in has changed so radically in a very short period of time, hasn't it? I was sharing with the first service that in the past two years, three years, everyone has this need now to proclaim what they stand for or what they believe. It's like you can't just go and get a bagel someplace. Now you have to read their declaration of what they believe. And it's like, (laughs) I don't care what you believe. I just want a bagel you know, just, just give me a bagel, you know. And everything is, you know, this social justice type of thing. And, and we stand for this and we stand against that and all of these different things. And, and um, all, you know, and, and as, as this is happening, we're seeing that in the world that we live in, at the same time that everyone is able to pronounce, you know, loudly, you know, where they stand and why they believe, and I'm going to put this, you know, little poster up in my front yard or whatever. We drove through a neighborhood, my wife and I, during the whole COVID thing, and it was like the whole neighborhood joined, it was like a little cult, you know, the whole neighborhood joined in, they all had the same uh, little posters up in the front yard, you know, we believe in this, we believe in that, we believe in that. Like, man, make your declaration. But at the same time, there's this silencing of those who believe in the word, believe in what the Bible says. You can't say that. That's hate speech. You can't say those things. Who do you think you are? You know, you'll be canceled if you say things like that. And there are many people who are afraid. There are many churches, we've watched churches, change radically in the past two to three years, radically. There are pastors, I don't know, the, the church has closed down, they had too much time on their hands, and, uh, and they were listening to too many voices, the wrong voices, they should have been listening to one voice, and that's the Lord's voice, I mean, but they were listening to the wrong voices, and once the churches opened up, 
the pastors had transformed. The pastors had changed. The pastor said, now we need to declare what we stand for. Because we don't want to lose anybody after all. I don't think they were concerned about losing people. I mean, they, some of these churches were closed for a year or longer. It's crazy. But we don't want to lose people. So pastor, where do you stand? Where does the church stand on fill in the blank? You know. Do you know, we should care less what the pastor's opinion is about the sanctity of life? Well, I guess we should care. If he doesn't believe in the sanctity of life, go someplace else. But if, if the pastor, if the church says, we believe what the word of God teaches, this is what we believe. We believe that this is the word of God. We believe that God spoke all things into existence. We believe that he is over all things. We believe that Jesus came and he died, and he rose again on the third day, and that he bore the sins of the world. And we believe that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe that it's through faith. We believe that Jesus is coming back again. We believe that we're seeing the signs that are leading up to the second coming of Christ. We believe that, the, that life is sacred to the Lord. He's the one who who created it, and so it's sacred to him. It doesn't matter if it's the life in the womb or the life, the aged life of an older person or someone with dementia or something like that. You say, why did you bring that up? Because we live in a time where they're deciding whether or not to keep people who have dementia alive. I think we should, who cares what you think? What does God say? Who are you to say? We plan. We make our plans. We try to figure everything out. And God laughs. I think of Habakkuk. He's waiting. He's expecting to be corrected. And then, as the Lord is speaking to him, look at verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and this is true of all of God's word, it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And then he goes on, he gives, of course, the uh, prophecy. And as you've read on, if you've read on, you know that he pronounced woes on different groups of people. A woe, it's a heavy thing. It's not a Southern California surfer thing, you know. It's a heavy thing. Woe, woe. And we're not going to get to that uh, this week, but, but, but I want you to note that as he says this, Habakkuk, he understands the heaviness, the burden of this oracle that was going to be given to him. This is something that, that he, needs to, he needs to know it himself. He needs to know it himself. Though the Lord, in essence, might say to him, you know, Habakkuk, I want you to understand that you, you may not understand what I'm doing. 
But you don't have to understand what I'm doing. Because I'm doing it. All you need to do is proclaim it. And you need to understand what I'm saying and, and write it on a tablet so that the runner, the herald that goes with the message and takes the message to the people can proclaim these things with clarity because it's coming. It's not tearing. It's coming. I mean, this is a heavy thing when you consider this. Look at verse 4. Behold, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. First part, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. You know, I was thinking, I was sharing with the first service that uh, I was as I was trying to get my bagel. Um, and I was just kind of thinking of, of wherever you go now, you see, you know, these little shrines, if you will. This is what we believe. This is what we stand for. Um, you guys remember when the fish symbol was a symbol that Christians would put on our car, bumper stickers and everything. And then, of course, those who were into Darwin, they changed the whole thing, added feet to it and had the Darwin inside it. And most of us, we just kind of laughed at the whole thing because they don't even understand the, the history of that fish. It's not like something that was made up during the 70s, the Jesus movement, but it went back really to the early church and it was kind of a, a symbol, a simple thing that you could write in the dirt and someone would know that you were a follower of Christ, a fisher of men, you know, and uh, a sign. But I was thinking of how, you, you know, you just kind of look around and everyone, everyone has their little shrine now. Well, I see that flag we have flags for everything now. It's hard to keep track of all the flags, isn't it? I see that flag. I know where you stand with that. I see that sign. I know where you stand with that. I see this. I see that, you know. And you, you, you think of the days in which we live. And I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, Lord, because nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. You tell us about it before it happens so that when it happens, we may know that you are God. And I was thinking of this agenda that we have in our culture today. It's not just our culture, it's the world. The homosexual agenda. Oh, I know that's hate speech for some of you. I'm sorry. It's biblical. I'm talking about a biblical thing. I'm not talking about a political thing. I'm talking about a biblical thing. And I was thinking in my mind, I said, Lord, I remember that you had mentioned in your word that Sodom was full of pride. And you'll say, Sodom, yeah, Genesis chapter 19. No, no, no. That's not where it's found. It's found in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 16. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters 
have done as you and your daughters have done. This is a comparison. God's speaking of, again, he's speaking of his people. And he's saying, Sodom wasn't as bad as you, Judah. And he said, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, fullness of food and an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Pride. Pride. Listen. You're either going to be brainwashed by the world or you're going to have your brain washed by the word. It's true. And we need to understand that there is an agenda. It's an agenda by the proud. We saw it just last week. Another high fashion company with their Christmas ad. You guys have seen it using little children in their ads in bondage and, uh, you know, with the little teddy bears bondage and all of this type of stuff, with a declaration on the table advertising their purse of a case dealing with pedophilia. Right there, right out in the open. Oh, no, that's not what it is. Oh, that was a mistake. Oh, we're going to sue the uh, photographer like the photographer set all this stuff up. There's an agenda There's an agenda sexualizing our children, sexualizing people. Everything's about sex. Now, you can't even, you you talk to some people, you can't even say certain things without a guy chuckling and say, it's like, oh, you you weren't being nasty. No, I wasn't being nasty. I was just talking. Because this perverse mindset that's in so many people, behold the proud His soul is not right in him. The proud. This was true of Judah. This was true of Babylon. This is true of our nation. This is true of humanity. But it must not be true of us. Guys, do you realize there's a choice? And if you're a follower of Christ, then you need to make the choice to follow Christ. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. We say that, don't we? Do we even know what that means? Do we even understand what that means? We don't hate people. I don't hate people. We have people in our family that are homosexuals. We have people in our family that are transvestites. We love people. But we love them enough to tell them about Jesus. We have people in our family who are heterosexual, uh, you know, fornicators. (laughs) We have people in our family that are given over to pornography. We have people in our family who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. We would never do it in any other area. We'd never say to a heroin addict, Jesus made you this way, honey. Embrace it. We would say, honey, you need to repent of this. This is going to kill you. And this is this this thing, man. It is you can't think straight. You're not, you know, you're you're you're, you're on the wrong track. You need to repent. You need to stop. I and mean, this is what we do. This, but again, when it's 
all of a sudden you throw something else in the mix, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you might not like it, you might not like me. But I'm telling you, there's an agenda that's been pushed down our throat, and the next thing down the road, and it's not that far down the road, is relationship with children. It's coming. If you don't see it, you're blind. And if we don't recognize what's happening, and if we don't get our noses back in the word of God and say, Lord, what do you say about sex? What do you say about marriage? What do you say about the marriage bed? He says the marriage bed is undefiled. But, but that which is not the marriage bed is defiled. And there's so much perversion in the land. And it should trouble us when we see these things that are happening. And this is where Habakkuk was. He was troubled by the things that he was saying. Because it wasn't just, you know, they're praying to other gods. It was all the perversion that came with praying and serving other gods. It was, Lord, your people. Why do we have the imagery in the Bible? When God speaks of his children and he says things like, you're a harlot. You walk around with your skirt up. Why does he use terminology like that? Because he's saying what you're doing spiritually is likened to the physical act of harlotry. A man and woman, they love one another. They come together. The two become one flesh. That's what the scripture says. Remember when the disciples were confused about divorce because Jesus seemed to have such a narrow view on divorce? And, and they said, well, gee, it would be better not to marry. I mean, if that's how it's going to be, if, you, you know, if adultery is the only legitimate reason for for divorce, then it'd be better for a man not to marry. And, and Jesus says adultery because that, that union, that oneness is broken because one is going to another and being united. There's a yoke that's being created that isn't a yoke that's pleasing in God's eyes, but it is a yoke that's being created nonetheless. Remember how Malachi spoke about divorce? Do you guys remember? He said, it's violence. See, we see there's a pattern here among the prophets. They like to use words like that. Why? See, guys, I'm trying to get us to think biblically about things. If we see things the way God see th- sees things, it should trouble us by the things we see. Now, you know, guys, we live in a world. In the church, we have people. This is what I love about the church. We have, we have homosexuals, we have people that struggled with their uh, identity, we have people that were addicted to drugs and alcohol, we have people that struggle with so many different things. That's the church, but we are saved by faith in the finished word of Jesus Christ. We're not giving ourselves to these things, we are seeking to walk with the Lord by the power of the Spirit of God who dwells within us. We have been born again, we believe this. See, these aren't just words. We believe, I've been born again. I've been born of the Spirit. I used to be that, but I'm no longer that. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have become new for me. Do I still struggle? Yes, I still struggle. Some of us struggle. Some of us are going to struggle with things until we go home to be with Jesus. But I'm telling you, if it's a struggle, that's one thing. If we're giving ourselves to these things, 
That's a completely different thing. Now, i got to finish this. Our text, I'm, I'm actually at the last part here. But the just shall live by faith. Do you recognize that? But the just shall live by faith. But the just shall live by faith. You should recognize that as Bible students. Because, because that verse, the end of that verse, was repeated, was quoted, was was used by the Apostle Paul three different times in his epistles. Now, one of the times you're going to, some of you may say, oh, you got that one wrong. And we'll see. When we get to heaven, we'll ask Paul about this. But, but um, he used that verse, but the just shall live by faith. So this tells me something. This tells me that the Apostle Paul read Habakkuk. And he enjoyed reading Habakkuk. And when he read about the, this, and he's reading along the proud, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him but the just shall live by faith and that stuck with Paul and he used it he used it in Romans chapter 1 verse 17 for in it remember the it in the context the verse right before it is I'm not ashamed of the gospel for in it the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith first time Second time, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. But that no one is justified or declared righteous by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Oh, that's wonderful. And then here's the controversial one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Because we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. I'm convinced it's Paul, and I'm convinced that's why there is no name because Paul knew that if he put his name on it, they wouldn't read it. <laughs> because it was written to the Hebrews. And of course he had fallen out with them. But it says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. All three of these letters, Paul quoted this verse or this part of the verse. But each time he quoted it, there was a different emphasis upon it. I'm almost done, guys. In Romans, the emphasis is put on the just. And Paul detailed how a person becomes justified or declared righteous before God in Christ. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Listen, 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 listen. Have you placed your faith in Christ? There's evidence. There's evidence. You know, you could say... um, See, I got to start changing my terminology. You know, I've, I've got, uh, I've got two surfboards in my garage, and uh, it's been a while since I've gone out. I would go out with my son-in-laws and my son, and the last time I went out, I really felt old. Felt like I was going to die out there. It's not big waves at all. It was just really, you know, I was having a hard time catching my breath. And so, you know, you say, oh, are you a surfer? So I need to change that because if I never go back out into the water, I need to say, I used to be. You see what I'm saying? If I just keep the boards up there and say, yeah, I'm a surfer from way back. See, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, of course I do. From way back. You know, I was confirmed when I was 12. 
Had my first communion when I was seven. Baptized as an infant. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Some of you, you almost act like you're stumbled by this. But others of you know where I'm going because, see, this is the thing, guys. If we put it upon some past thing, oh, if only, if only my wife and I could save our children. We couldn't. We can't. Oh, if only, if only we have 15 grandchildren. If only we'd say, well, we've served the Lord We've been faithfully serving the Lord for 45 years, you know, and our grandchildren, they're all saved because Papa and Nanny are saved. Oh, if only that was true. It's not true. It's not true. Our children needed to be born again. They needed to place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. For some, it took longer than others. For some, there's, there's a trail of, you know, wreckage behind them. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our grandchildren, it's the same thing. They need to come to faith in Christ. They need to place their faith in Christ. If it was as easy as being dipped in water or having communion, these are outward things. Faith is seen by how we live our life, by how we seek the Lord. Are you excited when you hear about Jesus coming back? He's coming back, by the way. Here, extra, extra, read all about it. I mean, we we shouldn't even have to say that, you know. He's coming back. He told us that, listen, he said, listen, uh, before I come, you'll want to know this, 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 this. And we just get a look around the world and we go, check, 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 check. Okay, Lord, what's next? You're coming. Maybe today. You see what I'm saying? And so we just look at things differently. I shared with you, I was talking to one of the brothers in the church. He's lived a long life. He's in his 90s. He's dying. He knows he's dying. Went over and talked with them. It was fun to talk with him because he knows where he's going. We talked about the long life that he's lived. We talked about the joy of serving the Lord. We talked about him being reunited with his wife in a different union than he had here on this earth. We talked about, he said um, something about, well, I'm going to beat you there. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute now. We don't know. You're still here. We don't know. You say, no, how could you be so, you know, how could you mock that way? That's not mocking. We have a hope that's beyond this life. See, these are all the byproduct of believing in Christ. If you believed in Christ, if you placed your faith in Christ, it changes everything. In Hebrews, the emphasis, Mariel, come on up, please. In Hebrews, the emphasis is upon the last two words, by faith. And you guys know, uh, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Don't you love that chapter of Hebrews? I love chapter 11. Habakkuk. For him, this verse but the just shall live by his faith. It, it really wasn't an essential for salvation. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't his doctrinal thinking. The doctrinal thinking was really this. Habakkuk, the Babylonians are full of pride, but you must live by faith. And that's the life application for us. We live in a world 
of people full of pride. But we should not be people full of pride. We should be people who live by faith. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Father, would you give us a love for you and a love for your word? And I pray, Father, for all of us that are gathered here watching the live stream. We, I pray that, Lord, would you please persuade those who have not placed their faith in you to do so. Would you please show us, Lord? Would you please encourage those that are struggling in their lives? We mess up, and then the devil comes in. He's the accuser of the brethren, after all. And he likes to just rub our nose in our failures, convince us that we're never going to change. But we know better than that, Lord. We know that the victory is ours in you. But we pray, Lord, for those who have not placed their faith in you, that today would be their day to surrender their life and to live for you and to look up for their redemption is nearer than when they first believed. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.